Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Gion. And I'm Argy. And this is Zenith. That podcast with vampire sand, because this week we watched Sand. Written by Tanith Lee. Directed by Vivian Cousins. And aired on November 23rd, 1981. And this one's also written by Tanith Lee, who wrote Sarcophagus. Right. She basically basically wrote this episode for Jacqueline Pierce. And it does seem to me that Servalan gets more screen time in this episode compared with all the other ones that she does. Uh, although I haven't looked up stats about that. And I, I want to mention this now. We will come up to it, but it's just um, it's more to do with the writing than anything else. So Stephen Pacey used to be quite fearful of Jacqueline Pierce, who I'm just going to call Jax because apparently everyone did. And uh, so he was quite fearful of her and she'd say, but, Tar- but uh, tra- uh, Stephen, I'm just the girl next door. And then he would reply, if you were the girl next door, I'd move. And so they had a lot of fun actually delivering those lines in the script, and they're some of my favourite in the series. But it went on a little bit more than that. Stephen was talking at work about how he'd moved into a houseboat and how much he was enjoying it. So Jack's rented a houseboat near his mooring. One morning as they were both leaving for work, she ran into him. He was shocked that she had basically become the girl next door. Not long after, he moved. <laughs> nice. And the most interesting right? part of that story was that he lived in a houseboat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to apologise too to Josette Simon because I said her name incorrectly uh, all the last episode that we taped. So it's, it's Josette, and I know that because I heard her saying it now. That's okay. Um, I have ruined so many people's names on so many episodes <laughs> of our podcast that I'm pretty sure there's like a society of people who are just like, man, Dylan hates us because he gets our name wrong every time. I also dug up a little bit on IMDb, so you take this as you wish. Some people said that is a good uh, source of information, some don't. But apparently Josette Simon believed that Blake Seven producers used her naivety and lack of confidence to get her to play a, a quotations, hot exotic warrior woman part that she saw retrospectively as both sexually and racially demeaning. So that's sort of where that came from. Yeah, you know, I've, I think I've, I've heard that from... I think multiple different sources. Yeah. Um, what I've heard is that, you know, as when she was, you know, making Blake Seven, not the Twitter account making Blake Seven, <laughs> but you know, when she was part of, when she was on the show, she enjoyed it. But then, you know, like you mentioned, retrospectively, she, you know, looked back and said, like, you yeah, know, that wasn't really, it wasn't, it wasn't so great. Yeah, <laughs> she's had to walk that back a little bit uh, because a lot of fans were really a bit upset and saying. Why you know that part was so good, da da da, da. and she's um, she said yes, the part was fun, but I would never revisit it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she yeah, won't be doing um, you know big finish or anything like that. Right, she hasn't been in any in any audios. I mean, some yeah. actors slash actresses just don't like revisiting roles that they've portrayed before. Not you know not necessarily because they're sexist or racist, like she says, Dana was some actors, actresses just don't like going back to roles. Yep. Mm. But I thought that was interesting. Yeah, but I think that's something we definitely heard like right at the start of Series C and something we've been trying to keep in mind as we watch these episodes. At least I have been trying to keep it in mind while we watch these episodes. And yeah, I mentioned it in a letter to you because I was trying to find out why she wasn't doing Big Finish and I read secondhand someone said, oh, she yeah, she found the role a bit sexist and racist, uh, you know, like a warrior woman type of role. So, yeah, I just wanted to say that does – there is some supporting evidence for that. 
Right. Right, right. I wonder if anyone's ever reached out to her about it. I know she's not the most responsive to fans, probably, especially of Blake 7, I think. Yeah, I don't think she's on social media, so it gets a bit tricky if, if they're not. I mean, you can always yeah. go through the website and get no responses. <laughs> yeah. Like we did so I love the um, start of Series 4. We get to fly over a Ferrero Rocher. <laughs> yeah. At the beginning, which is supposed to be a planet, but looks a lot like chocolate. And can I say, I always get frustrated at the end of the Zenith. Zenith podcast because the last two notes never get played and I'm always there waiting for it to go but just doesn't happen so I have to hum them myself (laughs) well blame Dylan that's yeah that is entirely that is entirely on me though that's like I mean I know you're kidding but like that was entirely (laughs) on me since I was the one who cut the intro and outro music like that yeah, so it's all right. I just hum it myself, so everyone else can do that too. Yeah, but it's just mildly annoying enough to keep Zenith in your mind all day. <laughs> we already said this episode. I don't think we did. This episode is written by Tanith Lee, who also wrote Sarcophagus. Right. She only wrote those two. And the last episode, I might have already said that. But anyway, she basically wrote this episode for Jacqueline Pierce. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot in it. Um, and I think we start out outside the. Uh, Scorpio, just like we did. There's a lot of similarities between this and Sarcophagus. So um, Sarcophagus started outside the Liberator. This starts outside Scorpio, and it has a bit of a mystical vibe to it, just like um, the start of Sarcophagus had. Mm-hmm. So, we, so we see the planet, really nice model work, I think, of the planet, and it's all covered in this sand and the sand's blowing, and, yeah, it just looks really cool. And we get sort of this cryptic voiceover, which again kind of mirrors the the cryptic, I don't know what you would call it, dance sequence, martial arts sequence at the beginning of Sarcophagus. (laughs) Burial. (laughs) The cryptic burial. Well, then we follow the, we kind of follow the voiceover to, not inside the Scorpio actually, to a completely different ship, somewhere completely Mm. different, and it turns out we're following Servalan. And no one gives a withering look like Jacqueline Pierce. <laughs> right, and we meet Reeve, I think his name is, as well. He's yeah, sort of the Inspector other, Reeve. Right, he's the Travis replacement of the week. Yes. Like any good Travis replacement. He gets killed the by dust. the end of the episode. <laughs> um, but, I, think the, um, I think they're doing exposition really well in this series lately. So this broadcast transmission is a really nice way to do it. Yeah, he kind of comes over and he's like, are you be watching all films? And she's like, no, I'm just, you know, just trying to figure out what we're looking for. Right, so the, the sort of whole setup, I think, is that they are going to investigate what happened to Keller and his group. Yeah. Uh, which is a very nice sort of way of setting up a mystery, a bit like Agatha Christie. Yeah. yeah. What happened yeah. to them? We're going to find out. Good costume work too, I thought. Um, I really like Investor uh, Reeves' silver suit. Had a lot mm-hmm. of detail. Mm-hmm. And uh, Servalan, uh, her brooch earrings and gown are extremely pretty. And her silvery blue makeup is very striking. I think they've made her look just gorgeous in this episode. I agree. I- and I want to also mention Keller's outfit as being really cool as well, even though he only shows up to die. Yeah. Metallic but flexible. <laughs> oh, no, that wasn't Keller. That was, that was uh, Reeve. Yeah, that was Reeve. My bad. Keller was wearing the kind of sugar plum colored <laughs> outfit, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So there's mystery all through this one, and obviously the first mystery is what happened to people on Vryn Base. But we get other layers of mystery as we go through, which we can talk about when they pop up. Well, this is definitely um, the most mystery-esque episode of Blake 7 in a long time. 
Yes. Uh, the other one was that one early on where they weren't sure who killed someone in that ship. Right. In season mm-hmm. A, mm-hmm. I do not remember the name. But I think it's Mission to Destiny yeah. and Keon's got it there. <laughs> yeah, this episode but, seems to draw... Uh, sorry, he had something to say, RG. No, 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 I know. Oh, I mean, yeah. Um, this episode seems... I know I've mentioned this short story um, before, but this episode seems to draw a lot from Ursula K. Le Guin's story... Vaster than empires and more slow, which is uh, it's sort of an ecological story about a, uh, I guess, a survey team, I think, who visit a sentient question mark planet and some weird stuff happens. This takes a few cues from that story. So I recommend Interesting. I mean, I think this whole story is very ecological, ecological. Uh, oh, yeah, it is. Current exponentiation sure. pending is <laughs> <laughs> very ecological and in its, its kind of themes and yep. and overarching plot uh you know this initial mystery that kind of gets set up which you actually they kind of resolve this one later on before they resolve everything else is that keller indicates that hi, uh, only him and his female partner slash research co-worker. partner yep. slash co-worker are the two who uh, seem to, to this, be immune right to this virus that's been killing everyone he yeah. assumes it's a virus and really quite intriguing that we find out that she's dead, mm-hmm. I thought, because it, it, it sort of grabs you in, okay, what's going on here? You, know, you want to sort of know a bit more. Yeah. Well, it's, well yeah, this, this kind of voiceover slash tape that Silverland's watching really effectively establishes, I think, two mysteries. One, which is uh, what's killing everybody, and two, uh, why are these two the only two that are suspected to still be alive as we find out later on the they've actually been dead for years <laughs> so has been a bit slow following up on this <laughs> now, I, I like the way serverland takes down reeve et- effortlessly in this but I, i've decided i think tanith lee has an excellent ear for dialogue and that the line that serverland uses is i'm sure you're accustomed to loneliness investigator reeve you must be alone such a lot yeah, I think the dialogue in Boom this one. Roasted. <laughs> oh, Just, okay. No. Ouch! It's like ouch. Um, um, uh, uh, well, do you have more to say about this part? Because otherwise, we'll move on to. Yeah, I, I, I just wanted to agree. I mean, I think the dialogue in this was was great. There were a few instances that uh, kind of annoyed me, like, you know, someone will say something and then someone will just respond with, like, is it? Or something like that. And that's like, <laughs> yeah. all right, you know, that's a little... Mystery building, Keon. <laughs> is it? <laughs> this guy's dead. Is he? <laughs> and that was the type of thing, right? But, I mean, overall, yeah, it was probably the best dialogue we've gotten this season so far, really. Yeah. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed it. I agree. I can tell. We actually ended up following Servaland for like most of the first part of this episode. Yeah, this was a, definitely yes. a Servaland episode, like you like you mentioned, RG, you know, sort of written to Jacqueline Pierce, which yeah, I can't nice remember any piece. other episode where she's in it so much. I definitely feel like this is by far her most screen time. I mean, she's arguably the main character of this story, which I don't think you can say about pretty much any other script. Right. Yeah. Well, we see her, um, she definitely bookends it too. We see her, you know, in the first set, 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 and then we see her, she's the last thing we see at the end. Right. So, uh, yeah, yeah. and just, I mean, right when you, because Tarrant has a line 
and you think that it's going to go into the outro theme right there, but then it goes back to Serverland. That actually really caught, caught me off guard there at the end. <laughs> Boom, yeah. surprise. Especially, especially because of how sitcom-y a line it was. <laughs> you yes. think, all right, that's the yes. end. That's classic Blake 7 ending. <laughs> classic Blake 7 ending, get you with a sitcom line and hit you with those hard emotional feels as we see Serverland <laughs> weep over her dead lover. Yeah, only the second time we've seen her cry. Yeah, the first time yeah. was in... It was in Children of Orion, wasn't it? When her babies died. This one was far more effective. (laughs) Yeah, she did this job a bit better, the crying here, I think. Yeah, I think it's more believable in this context too, possibly. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) But anyway. Even though I prefer the Liberator, the Scorpio model work is really good. Well, we get to see the we get to see the Scorpio landing sequence in reverse for the fourth time this season, <laughs> because apparently like they spent all their budget filming that sequence. So we see the little platform rotate and Scorpio fly away. And but it's as good as ever. Really like that sequence. It is. It is noticeable that it's the same exact <laughs> sequence though every time it comes up, and I'm not going to let them get away with it. You know why they're doing that though? They wanted to have something like this when the Thunderbirds take off. <laughs> So every time the Thunderbirds took off, they showed the same sequence of that, that particular Thunderbird. So that's why it's the same every time. Yeah, but think about this realistically. Would it really be the same oh every time? <laughs> <laughs> yes, down to the like millimeter. Machines. It's all to do with machines. Machines break. I mean, look at Orac in this episode. <laughs> Orac goes completely screwball. Oh, I love that scene. We're coming up to it. Classic hey, Orac. Um, so we, we get to when we get to see inside the the uh, Scorpio, we see that uh, a mutoid from Project Avalon has joined the Blake Sevens crew. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. we we uh, I don't think we we forgot or didn't know about that until Saint Clinton pointed it out that Sulin yeah. played a mutoid before right. she played yeah. Sulin. I Very never noticed that. in that episode too, actually. Although she had a, a thing on her head like an artichoke, so <laughs> it didn't I mean, really look like her. I never noticed that, so I didn't even know that that was a thing till St. Clinton pointed it out. Yeah, and I'm trying Got to... Another, rem- another juicy tip. So Glynis Barber and Stephen Pacey actually went out during season D of Blake 7. I've heard about that. Yeah, I think... Who's told us yeah, that? someone told us about someone that. Someone told us that. It might have been that. you, but I'm not sure, 100% sure. feels like all our regular correspondents now are fighting to be the first to tell us <laughs> some juicy new tidbit about Blake 7. Everybody's like, no, i got to be first. I just say bullshit that I've thought of that I think is amuses me, and I don't care if anyone else it amuses anyone else. Tough. <laughs> Tough. Um, Avon hasn't kissed Sulin yet. No, However, but now Serverland has, has kissed, kissed Tarrant. So. Yes. Who well, kissed who kissed Su Lin? Um, the guy that she was with the uh, star. Dorian. Dorian. Dorian, yes. So another little stat. Jenna is the only recurring cast member who was never kissed on screen. Wow. Huh. That actually surprises yeah, me. Yeah, that's a pretty big surprise considering Gan. Wait. For some reason I for some reason wait. I'm not imagining Gan yeah, getting wait. kissed who on did screen. Gan kiss? Oh maybe it's wrong. Huh. Mm. Who did, who did Gan no, I kiss? Remember, I don't remember Gan kissing anyone either. Maybe mm. it meant female. It might yeah, maybe meant it meant female. female. Yeah, I think Possibly. it was female cast member. Because um, Callie gets kissed by Avon. Dana right. gets kissed by Avon and Tarrant. 
Oh, and, and also Silverland was the other one that's immune. Oh, no, that's a bit later, sorry. Um, yeah, so Silverland got kissed, Kelly got kissed, Sulin got kissed, Dana got kissed. So those are all the main ones. This would be a weird, like, love pentagon going on in the Scorpio crew. Some sort of it's free also, love tribune. <laughs> yeah. It's the kiss of death, too, because anyone who Aeon kisses dies. Except again, except again for Serverland. Uh-oh. <laughs> However, we never see Serverland in the final episode, so, you know, she might be dead. Oh, sorry, spoilers. I should have said she might be I dead. Already, I already knew about that. I think Dylan is just like, damn. Uh, we're getting to that point in the season. So, yeah, I can't I mean, believe we're almost there. Sulin's hairstyle looks fantastic in this episode. So cool. Yeah, I tried uh, thinking of how to describe it. You know, I just I just completely blanked. So I'm going to leave that it's, one to you guys. Braids. It's it, a braid. It was a, yeah, it was a braid on one side that sort of just like, I guess, clipped over the top of her head. Yeah. I don't know what you would call that. Fancy. That's what you would call it. Now, now listen, you're going down to a planet covered entirely by sand. You know you have to walk five miles. What do you choose to wear? <laughs> Obviously a flowing, glittery evening gown and stiletto shoes. Well, the, the thing is, uh, is when they first get down to the planet, Servaland, or they were originally planning to land closer to their destination, then Servaland gets mad at, um, gosh, I forgot his name, the pilot guy. Chazgo. Yeah, Chazgo. <laughs> she gets mad that he wasn't able to uh, navigate properly or whatever. The sand blew him off course. Classic sand. <laughs> so yeah, Ch- well, they kind of land. Pair of shoes, apparently. They kind of <laughs> land in like what seems to be a uh, cave of some sort. Uh, it almost seems like yeah. This this planet is really cool. There seems to be a lot of cave systems and and chasms and stuff like that. And a constant storm overhead <laughs> that's never at the point where it's gonna rain. Yeah, well, the sands ever present throughout the episode, which I liked too, and it. You know, it buries the ship. It falls on Serverland and, and her party's heads when they you know, the first get down to the planet. The sand is also green, we should note. Yes. And it, it swallows people whole as well. We get to see one of the guards get swallowed whole by the sand. <laughs> surprised we haven't made any Tatooine slash young Anakin jokes yet. Sand. <laughs> well, now we there. can't because you've, you've like, <laughs> no, ruined you, the punchline no, before no, no, it comes. No. There's another good bit of dialogue too when they're sort of all settling down for the night where Silverland says, there are no women like me. I am unique. That makes me rather dangerous. And then Inspector Reeves just like, I'm going to go sleep over here. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I really like how much Reeve is sort of bullied in these scenes. (laughs) Yeah, you get the feeling he's not a nice guy, so you kind of don't feel too sad for him. No, no. no. I I, I just took... Pleasure from his pain, I guess. I was surprised Reeve was the one to figure out that Sleer was Servalan. Yeah, because we should probably mention that he kind of confronts Servalan, like when she says that line about no one being like her. He's like, "Well, yeah, I know that because you're Servalan, aren't you?" And she's like, "Ah, uh, ah." Uh, uh. she's, she's really she's not phased by it. She kind of keeps her keeps her cool, and uh, Reeve kind of. Reeve then points out that a best Servland like made a massive oversight because Reeve was invited to an event like when the Federation was a thing in which Servland was there, and she, he implies that she was the one who invited him, but they never met in person. Kind Do you think it... that was rumors of death? Possibly. That's that's what sprang to my mind. Yeah, the jig's certainly up for Servland. Well, not anymore. Now, Reeve eats yeah. it. So. <laughs> 
I found some information on this too that um, Silverland becomes Slear because Jax was actually hospitalised after Series 3 and it was thought that she wouldn't return to the series. So Slear was to have actually been played by another Jack, uh, an actor. When it turned out that Jax was okay to continue her role, they decided, decided to keep the Slear moniker because by that stage the, Federa- the Federation considered her to be dead or Silverland to be dead. So that's how that all Yeah, came she kind about. of explains it in this episode to Tarrant. She yeah. says that the presidency was usurped from right under her. Right. And I uh, I think we heard at one point that Jacqueline Pierce, you know, was was well enough, I guess, to, to be a part of Series D, but still wasn't in the best of health during all of this, which kind of explains episodes like Animals, where she's not yeah, doing Yeah, I was going to say Animals was the yeah. main one where we heard that, I think, because it seemed like she was way out of it during that episode. Yeah. Although, to be fair, yeah. most of the people were way out of that <laughs> yeah. one, so... Oh, man. We, we agreed never to talk about that again. <laughs> oh, Obama, too late. <laughs> now I'm going to have to take another shower after this. Yeah, well, we just we just can't let them live it down. <laughs> we can't let them forget that animals exists. Do you like how in earlier episodes of Blake 7, they just stood still after teleporting down to a planet? But as time went on, they do this dramatic, look around with guns pointed. Is that a change that happened when they switched to the Scorpio? Nah. No, that, that, that change happened before. And I actually, I remember I remember reading somewhere, and I don't remember where it was. I think it was actually on Making Blake 7, where he talked about how the person who did the teleporter effect got so good at it uh, by the end of Series A that he was able to do it while people were moving. And then, in my mind, huh. that kind of justified to me why they started moving more by the end of the season was because the guy who did the effect was actually able good was good enough to actually make it so that they could move around while wow while it was going on yeah i mean it does work from a story perspective as well because when they first start using the teleporter then none of them are used to the teleporter right um so you'd think that they can now plan okay when we're down you know quickly check our surroundings but i think there's an implied thing as well that maybe they haven't done that one or two times in the past and been you know, sp- sprung upon by someone waiting for them or you know, accidentally teleported down into a group of people who are hostile. Horizon. Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> they just kept doing it. But yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Speaking of teleporting, the Liberator crew is discussing what to... Sorry, Scorp... I knew the Liberator I was, crew. I've been doing... I, you know, I knew I was going to do that as soon the as... Liberator they're, still, crew. they're still the Liberator crew to me. Yeah, they, they are. Um, <laughs> Even though the crew is like pretty different from the, from the original crew, if you really think about it. Yeah. Dana yeah, joined in Series C, only... Tarrant joined in Series C, and Sulin joined in Series D. Yeah, only Villa and Avon and Villa are the only, left. The only Callie OG members it. left. No, don't talk about Kelly, idiot. I'll have to to go back to sulking. We have to talk about Kelly because Villa finally gets his moment where he, like, gets to mourn her death for all of... By drinking again. All of two minutes where he gets smashed drunk in doing so. But what I thought... not there quite yet because we've got sand creeping up on Chazgo. Right. Right. That doesn't really go... Anywhere. Anywhere. But what I thought was funny is that the Liberator... God, I did it again. The Scorpio crew... Are discussing what to do, and, and Avon is like, "Well, we don't know what this thing is, but damned if I'm going to let Serverland have it." <laughs> <laughs> well, they take a vote because Avon's like, "Let's take a vote. Uh, Serverland's going there right now. Should we go there? Yes or no?" And everyone's like, "Yes." <laughs> Everyone just feels they're under pressure to say yes because Avon's asking. 
Well, someone says something like that later on. I think it's Dana. She says, well, how could we refuse when you're the alpha yes. male Avon? Yes, well, she's poking fun at him you know, when he explains that the sand kept him alive because he was the <laughs> dominant member. And, and that actually is why the sand's important creeping up on Chesgo because that's how the sand finds out there's another male. Mm-hmm. Apart from Tarrant. When, when all the other males are killed. Well, Tarrant and Villa beam down and... Uh, Tarrant and well, Dana, sorry. Actually, Tarrant and Dana. And, yeah, but yeah, before Dana. that, there's a really nice thing where Villa and Avon are both horrified when Ulrak said that he loves them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ulrak is kind of uh, on the going fritz. crazy. Uh, yes. I mean, you find out why later on, but... Nobody puts the connection together like on the Scorpio crew, but it's because Orak's like reading off all of the messages that Keller left for Servalan. But it's really funny when he says, I love you to Avon. He's like, turn it off. <laughs> Last thing he wants to hear. I oh, except the you've... sequence of events was Avon goes, turn it off. And then Orak goes, but I love you. And he's like, turn it off now. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't get it was living sand until I saw it move. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, I can't believe that I didn't get that. It's not that obvious, I think, like that it's the sand that's killing them because they really play it up like it's a virus for a lot of it. There's also a thing where like technology doesn't work right on the planet, Vern. Yeah, I, I forgot like to mention that. I thought that was clever. Vern, like Jules Vern. I'm sure that's intentional. Or like the color green. Or like the color green, yeah. What language would that be? Uh, just uh, an Indo. I mean, it wouldn't be like a particular language, I think, but it would just be an Indo-European like thing that, like, all right, Vern Green. Anyway, technology doesn't work quite right, which is why everybody's got like classic, like, bullet-powered guns. I think they call them percussion guns. Yeah. So not firing laser bolts on this planet. It's all about them bullets. <laughs> There's this weird thing where Dana. Kind of implies that she could have brought more bullets, but she only brought four because there were only four, you know, people. Enemy people down there. And she's like, "Oh, I'm not going to waste any or whatever." Only for her to immediately get shot in the arm by Inspector Reeve. Right. I oh, know. This is a bit. Yeah, I found this a bit silly. Well, Reeve's like, it seems like he's hallucinating for a second. I was like, is this the virus? Is it making him hallucinate? And he's like, there's someone up on the ridge, and he just fires kind of blindly, and then Dana's like, ah. Terrence like, well, you're hit. You're not allowed to continue the mission anymore, Dana. <laughs> yeah, but the way they shot all of this was so strange. This was the one instance of, like, really weird directing. I agree, because I thought that, like, Sivalin and her group were in a cave, and then I guess Dana and Terrence were on some sort of ridge, and I was, like, kind of uncertain about how they got up there. And, yeah. and there was no, something they about... Cave. They, they were sleeping outside during the night, so they were still outside. Gotcha. I mean, because there was this other thing, like... There was this other thing where they couldn't like teleport them too close to Serverland's ship because of the you know the interference of the storm and the technology not working right, and but then they could just immediately beam Dana out like right there and then, and yeah. Anyway, it's like all the times when the sonic screwdriver can fix everything except, except the things it can't. It can't. Yeah. So it's a bit like that. You can teleport anywhere, anyone anywhere except when you can't. And you can teleport anyone out of anywhere with no repercussions because apparently that's what they do. That's what they do. (laughs) Under 
duress from Dana, not duress, but under protest from Dana. She's like, no, I don't want to go, don't. And then she gets teleported back And then Tarrant says some snarky line like, well, I guess you didn't have a choice or something like that. <laughs> God, Tarrant was such a... Uh, Dweeby. Yeah. Like, oh, man. Tarrant in this episode. I can think of stronger language than that. Pretentious. Right, I, might, I might use it. Pretentious, <laughs> that's a good one. Arrogant. Arrogant. Mm. We've got to stick to the family-friendly words, RG. <laughs> I know. Um, I am I am sticking to them. Um, yeah, but he, he wasn't – I hated that bit, to be honest, when he just decided, no, I know it's better for you. You're going back up. Yeah, that uh, – I, I mean, this is the start of Tarrant being, you know – The start of Tarrant being what? Uh, a not – Good member of the crew. I don't know. I don't know what family-friendly word to use. I, I feel like you know what's coming, and you're dancing around it not to spoil it now. It's actually not but the start of it. can we just say, he still looks pretty. That's all I really care about. That's all I need for my tarots. I just need them to be pretty. I don't forgive him for any of this. <laughs> are you preemptively not forgiving him for things he hasn't done yet, or are you just well, not forgiving you know, him for being a little... To Dana. <laughs> no, but I mean, this really, I say this was the start of it, but this really isn't the start of it. Harvest of Kairos was the start of Terrence's problems, or Terrence causing problems, let's put it that well, that's way. that's because in Harvest of Kairos, they were like, we're going to let Terrence pilot the ship, and then at the end of the episode, I was like, let's never do that again. <laughs> yes. Uh, Even in the simulator Dana, last it? week for games, he like gets his engine blown out <laughs> in the simulator. <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't. And then they say, oh, you got to keep going around the planet or land. There's more points for landing. And he says, oh, I'll just keep going around the planet. <laughs> uh, doesn't know how to land, maybe. <laughs> but anyway, I, do like, um, I do like Serverland saying to him, what fascinating violence. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, lovely. that's pretty much right now because Tarrant goes wandering off and he confronts Reeve, who's separated from Serverland. Worst shootout ever. I really liked it. Uh-oh. <laughs> fight, 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 fight. No, it, it, was, it wasn't too bad. Fight me, this I is Chris know. Boucher again. He loves westerns. So anytime he can put something to do with westerns. Chris Boucher's in not there. the only one who likes westerns on this production team. No, that's why, oh, he, no. That's why he and um, Paul Darrow sort of bonded, I read, is over their love of westerns. Hmm. Well, that's why Paul Darrow kept holding his gun like a six-shooter. Yeah. He's still doing it this season. But it's more like a six-shooter this season, so it'd be hard not to. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, if I feel like if I had those guns that they have this season, I would... It would be really hard not to hold it like a six-shooter, is, is I guess what I'm trying to say there. You know, I think I, if I didn't... If I hadn't seen the Liberator guns, I probably would have gone, oh, these guns are so cool, Scorpion guns or Scorpio. But I think after seeing the Liberator guns and how different they were, these ones feel a little bit like second rate. Well, that's because they are second yeah. rate. Yeah. Although the teleport bracelets I really like. I think they look really good. Yeah, I agree. The new teleport bracelets are great. And, I mean, there's a lot of wasted potential with these guns that – I can already tell it's never going to go anywhere because in the first episode, Dana was like fascinated by these guns because she's like, oh, you can change out the type of like bullets it fires. Yeah, there's all kinds of customizations you can make in Rescue but that yeah. never get touched <laughs> on again. And this is like the first time that they actually, this is the second time actually, I think they actually brought up them changing the bullets because she's like, wow, it's been a while since I used these percussion bullets and then there was like the trank bullets they used in the one episode and then that's it. That's like all they've done <laughs> with those interchangeable energy cartridges that they like made a huge point of showing in Rescue. <laughs> Yeah. 
I mean, it'd be interesting to see if uh, if you thought they were using a certain type of bullet in the last episode, which I won't talk about too much. But yeah, it'd be interesting to to see if you thought that happened. I mean, but can Just, you imagine if like this episode was done with the Liberator guns? They'd, they'd be people on the Liberator oh, yeah. would be completely screwed because <laughs> guns don't work on Vern. So maybe the Liberator yeah, exactly would have been right. powerful enough to withstand the sandstorm. The Liberator wasn't powerful enough to withstand goo in space. <laughs> slime. Um, slime trademark. I, I like this um, printout on uh, when they get down to the base. So Tarrant and her Serverland have hooked up, agreed it to a truce. Hooked and up in more this, ways than one. Well, well, not quite yet, but, uh, yeah, it's about to happen. So we're getting this computer readout. Perhaps we will be lovers for a long while. And it really upsets Serverland. And it also makes her realize that Don Keller's dead. And that in turn also uh, has a big impact on her. She's just bereft. Well, there's right. this, this nice scene between the two of them where Tan's like, I could just kill you right now. Three feet away would be pretty effective. And she's like, well, how about one inch away? You could mm. just kill me right now. Or we could, you know, do a truce. And then Tan says something like, what, until you find a blunt instrument to bash my head with? She's like, no, no, a truce. Well, there's this. Also, there's also this line here where Servalan tells Tarrant that he just killed someone who was trying to kill her, and he was like, "Oh darn! Everyone gets one <laughs> really bad really mistake." Bad I mistake. Think. And uh, this, and I was like, "All right, Tarrant, when did you use yours? Harvest of Kairos." <laughs> <laughs> right, so we jump back up to the uh, Scorpio, and interestingly enough, Sulin references Tanith Lee's earlier episode, yeah. Psychopicus. I made a note of this. She, yeah. She mentions Kelly, so I, I need to go back to sulking. <laughs> well, then Villa's like, well, what would you know about Kelly anyway? And then he walks over to the stairs, I guess, and sits down with his wine, with I guess. Sand. Wine in the sand. Wine, wine in the sand. Wine in more ways than one. The Liberator was destroyed. Kelly died. But Kelly died due to Avon's kiss of death, you see. Ah. Uh. <clears throat> I yeah. see. Now we know who's really behind all of this. A- Avon's master plan is just kill everybody who's working for him. All well, his Avon friends. Avon fell in love with the Liberator too. I would say so. That's another. Avon fell of in death. love with Orac too. Oh, you know. Oh, does he make it through? I can't remember. <laughs> green Green Sand stalking Villa by this stage, which is why he stops making sense. Right, Dana brings it back in her boots or whatever. Thanks, yeah. Dana. Actually, no, thanks, Tarrant. Yeah, Tarrant, yeah. That one's really, on Tarrant. Everything that went wrong for them in this episode was Tarrant's fault. Much Jerry, like Harvest of Kairos. Yeah. <laughs> However, Serverland tells him, you're both resourceful and decorative. So she gets it. Decorative vegetable? So we should have named no. our website Decorative Tarrant. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, you know, ten- there's a, you know, there's a meme of um, people saying uh, 101 things you can do with a dead Tarrant. <laughs> I did not what? know that. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's stuff like take his skull, turn it upside down, use it as an ashtray. Well, that that's really morbid. <laughs> Hat stand, all that kind of stuff. Well, Tarrant's had the best chance of anyone to kill Servalan. He's literally got the gun an inch from her head and... I just believe her when she says this for a truce. I mean, how how hard would it be to just 
pull the trigger, put a bullet through Serverland's skull, and be like, all right, Scorpio, beat me up. I just killed Serverland. Yeah, yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah exactly. there, is, there is absolutely no excuse not to kill Serverland here. He would be the hero of the entire crew if he did this. Yeah, he would literally be a king. He would be redeemed in all of their eyes. <laughs> I mean, how angry is Diana later when she finds out that oh, he could have done that? Yeah, furious. Not just her, actually. They're all pretty upset with him. <laughs> and he didn't have to tell them either. He was like, "By the way, guys, gotta come clean." That it was, was the other. Yeah. That was the other thing yeah, he said. Like, I was thinking. yeah. <laughs> Instead of saving his own skin and not telling them that it was Serverland and just being like, "Ah, it was just someone I never saw," he like in willingly invites their <laughs> wrath upon him by being like, "Yeah, I just let Serverland live." God. Terran is but such that's a because he's, uh, he's a, a little boy who's like, yeah, I was with a real woman then. I reckon. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, everyone else I- is like, Terran, you idiots. <laughs> yeah, there is, uh, yeah, now that you mention it, there is a sense of like, yeah, you know uh, you know that woman I was talking about who I uh, made out with? It was Servalan. Yeah, and Avon's like, I, I've done that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, you can imagine them later, Terran going, yeah, but you only kissed her, mate. I, I actually slept with her. Yeah, and then everyone would be like, well, man. at least I tried to kill her. And then Terrence would go and sulk in his corner. He'd be like, well, I guess you got me there. We get this lovely um, scene now. Oh, Terrence, I'm just the girl next door. If you were the girl next door, I'd move. Where would you move to, Terrence? Next door. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I really so like good. that. Especially now knowing that it was a real life thing that they sort of wrote into it, into the script and expanded on. Yeah, I thought that line was great, although I was wondering about the logistics for moving from next door to next door, but <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> I just, I, the, I thought the last line was just so clever. And again, you know, Tanith Lee, hats off. Yeah, yep. I agree. I mean, a lot of the dialogue in the story is just fantastic, in my opinion, so. <clears throat> okay, so, so we, we're back on Scorpio and Avon's mucking around with the probability square. Because oh, yeah, they turned Orak off. <laughs> and he tries to explain this probability square to Dana, and Dana's like, ah, oh, I get it. And I'm just sitting there like, well, I don't. Can you go through that again? Because, like, what? Man, what was it? Okay, so it's a it's a square. It's like a, what, 4x4 four four type thing? No, a lot bigger than 4x4. Four four. It was no? like, f- he had 4x4 four 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 tiles, tile. but the, the actual oh, board yeah, yeah, he was yeah, working yeah, yeah, on yeah, was yeah, bigger. That's what I meant, the, the tiles. So each tile has, I'm forgetting what it was. Just things um, like food, fa- no, it was, water, uh, it was, oxygen. No, every tile has a fact, uh, s- s- information that leads to those facts and implications of those facts. And you move them around until you find a pattern. And it's supposed to mimic, I, I guess, Orax, um functions. But this was really interesting to me. I really liked this scene because he, in this moment, Avon, you know, after turning the computers off, the computers don't even work. So they turn them off. But Avon finds that, I guess... Information from the computer is more valid than any information that they could, I guess, deduce. So he he, he starts using this square with limited information on it. Um, and this is this is interesting. This goes back to, and maybe I'm just referencing this because I've been reading a lot of it lately, but back in the, um, really the 18th century, there's this shift, and you can see it in the, in the writing, both scientific writing and, um, you know, fiction from the period of, like, this is where... The shift really takes place where, like, if a human and a machine say something different than the machine's right and not the mm-hmm. human. And this, I'm going to touch back on this later because Tarrant also has something to do with this. In a really <laughs> stupid Tarrantish way, but yeah. classic. I mean, in 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 my opinion, the scene was just reinforcing what 
I was theorizing last week in Orac becoming a, a mirror to Avon. Yeah. And this scene kind of shows that the opposite is also happening and that Avon is becoming a mirror to Orac, where here he's basically duplicating Orac's functions while Orac is off, performing Orac's duty for the crew Right. when Orac is off. Basically, in a way, becoming more like Orac, mm-hmm. this machine that he allegedly hates. But I don't think so. Well, Dana says you're playing Orac. Yeah, and he says, yep, guess I am. I liked it too. There is, um, to explain to people this in the more, simple, more simplistic terms, the most practical application is of this is a thing called a Punnett square. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to work in an animal lab and we would use it to work out the probability of offspring inheriting a particular genotype, particularly such as a recessive gene. So you would put um, ABC across the top and then down the left-hand side, you'd write X, Y, Z. And then you'd see – oh, sorry, no, I've done that wrong. You'd write X and Y up the top, X and Y down the side. And the Y was the recessive gene. So then you see where they all intersect. So you end up with one XX, two XYs, and one YY. So you'd know you had a quarter of a probability of getting a mouse with that double Y genotype. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think I remember yeah. this from, like, high school Biology. bio or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while since I've done Punnett squares. We used <laughs> yeah, to do them for eye color in high school. Yes, well, that's a um, recessive gene. Right. Well, some of the eye colors are recessive, so, yeah. I think blue is recessive. I think yeah. green is probably recessive as well. Yeah. Good old brown is dominant. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, so we get another reference to Kelly, so I can sulk again. Um, Villa asked, who, who cared about Kelly? And my response to that is, Argy cared about Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> That's who. No, I, is... I, just have to con- I just have to comfort myself with the fact that at least Dana's still in it. She's cool. Comfort yourself with at least Villa being torn up about Kelly's death. Yeah, Visibly that's right. torn up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised I'm not. I mean, Callie's one of, if not my favorite character on the show. I'm surprised that I haven't been as torn up about her death as I have about Gan's death. <laughs> because Gan became like a meme almost on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. Yeah, it is. There's no denying that. I mean, Gan even inspired on your podcast the meme, What Would Blake Do? Yeah. Was Gan <laughs> oh God, right. gave us What Would Blake Do? Oh, so God. In, in reality, Gan talk, may have talk contributed. About DNA. Yeah, I was gonna Gan say, is in the DNA of Zenith. I was say, Gan may not have contributed much to Blake 7, but he's a vital part of Zenith. <laughs> I, I didn't really get that. sad when Gan died, to be honest. Um, and I actually didn't get sad when Callie died. I was more pissed off than anything because mm. I thought, mm-hmm. A, that was the, the stupidest death, uh, just her shouting out Blake. And B, you know, I, I, I beg to differ. You could go dumber than that. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Um, but yeah, just not having the character around, I was a bit annoyed by. But episodes like this make me get over it a bit because I like this episode. Man, why did we never think to do a What Would Callie Do? Why didn't that ever cross our minds? Because we were trying to do something different every yeah, season. I guess. And that would that would have just been What Would Blake Do? But it, and, but and, a psychic. And, and, and it would just be, uh, what did Sue Lin do this week? That's what Callie yeah. would do. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Right. Also, I think it's it's much funnier to do What Would Blake Do anyway because he was a bit of a buffhead. <laughs> Whereas Callie's not so much of a buffhead. Yeah, Callie actually had her wits about her. I'm surprised how many... 
uh, Blake sympathizers there out there there are out there you know in online communities and whatever I'm not no, I'm not either <laughs> that liked that, that wish Blake was back on the show at this point yeah we're just you know we're are, are totally on board with Blake's schemes <laughs> oh, I didn't mind him but again you got that problem where he's very cute so you know if I'm watching cute cute boys run around and do stuff on screen then I'm pretty happy I mean, I liked Blake just because I liked seeing the crew go along with this madman, <laughs> not realizing that he was a madman. It was like almost this investigation into what makes people follow these charismatic leaders. I mean, Blake was, if you think about it, basically a cult leader, right? Mm-hmm. He promised all of them, like, riches and the downfall of the Federation, and then asked them to do all these, like, if you looked at it from an outside perspective, all these things that are, like, pretty irrational and and crazy and don't seem like they'd really get you to your goal but and all the people that like bought into it well you did get questioned by avon and villa quite a bit as to you know whether these things were smart to do but then you always had jenna and gan right by his side to to back him up (laughs) and kelly a lot as well because she was interested in taking down the federation Mm -hmm. Ah, good old blake our favorite cult leader so back to sand. We're still getting elements of mystery throughout the episode, even after the initial message from Don Keller. And we get this really interesting little talk. So Sudalyn hints at some of the mystery elements. And as Dana points out, she gets a handy thunderclap. And Darren, Tarrant, but at this stage, starts to talk about all the things he and uh, Serverland know. And so everyone is doing like Avon and trying to work through the puzzle, almost like it's an Agatha Christie plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, eventually, well, they find this food machine, I guess, and use it. But eventually, Tarrant and Servalan, the tightest food machine, <laughs> yeah, um, come across Keller's body. Mm. Well, Tarrant thinks he's alive, right? But then Servalan's like, he he's dead. Remarkably well preserved body. Yeah, his body's still warm, still flexible, metallic but flexible. No, no, no. Dead but flexible. <laughs> Well, because it's implied he's been di- dead for at least a while now. Yeah, for five years. But the yeah. sand, as Tarrant works out, pretty much now has kept him alive. Or not alive, but, you know, in a, a live st- Well, they've kept state, the, the or they meat. Preserved, they preserved, they preserved the meat, <laughs> basically. Yeah, vampire sand. I love that idea. Well, he hasn't quite pieced that together just yet because now he has this kind of this was a line that made me groan because it just seemed like really forced because Tarrant picks up this glass cube and he's like it says natural earth spring water and he hands it to Sylvan he's like better drink it you might never see earth again he's like he says something like natural spring water encased in glass and I was like that sounds so like contrived it's, I mean it's an <laughs> ornamental thing right like it's it's water in, in a yeah, glass no, cube yeah no, no my, my problem's not with the water in the glass cube that I was just like cool sci-fi concept no just Terrence like delivery of the line and the line itself just felt very mm-hmm. like contrived and forced wasn't this after they get quote snowed in unquote sanded in I guess yes but before he figures out that it's vampire sand yeah I think he's just saying <laughs> that there's no way out yeah in a really contrived way <laughs> And we find out why um, Sivalan's upset about Don, Don Keller because he was her lover until Power became her lover. Right, the episode Which Power. Is a nice yeah, I love that episode. No, no, I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> and and after um, Tarrant gives her the the water, they uh, Tarrant gets on with making breeding stock. 
I don't know if it's ever explicitly stated that's what happened. However, the evidence is overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty heavily implied, I think. Well, we don't know if Servalan... There's indication that at the end, sort of, and we'll get there, but we don't know for sure whether Servalan is telling the truth here. There's indication at the end that she probably is, but maybe not to the full extent that she says. It'd be kind of weird for her to sleep with Tarrant if she uh, wasn't. I, feel I like. agree that um, we don't really know about this, whether Don Keller's stuff is true, but I also agree that at the end it becomes fairly clear. Mm-hmm. Because she's got no real um, reason to talk about him at the end. Right. And she's talking to herself as well, so she's not doing you know, explaining it to anyone else. So right. I got the feeling that he was her lover at one stage. Also, she got really upset when um, the computer printout started uh, – saying, and I've got it back mm-hmm. in my notes, perhaps we will be lovers for a long while. That really upset her. Right. right. Yes, the evidence guess, is, is pretty yeah. overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, that she at least, if if wasn't his lover, which is also probably pretty likely, at least knew him. Right. Yeah. She says she was 18 when she fell in love with him, which I just want to point out. Yeah. That, uh, I don't know, I I thought... I chuckled when I heard the line because Blake Seven has a history of romance being started really young. Uh, but just that, in my mind, I never thought of Servaland having a past. And all of a sudden, <laughs> it's like, I was 18. And I was like, wait a minute. That's a good point. <laughs> well, Servaland also had that past of how she rose to, to power in the Federation, which was in right. the one where Gan died. I forgot what that one was called. Yeah, but I mean, it's just like you never really think of these characters like having a childhood Pressure. and Pressure. having their first Sorry. love and... Having their, I don't know, first experiences, first you know. Or just having a life outside yeah. of what we see on having screen. Having a life outside of controlling a dystopian well, empire well, like hell-bent on, on killing people. You know, humorously, last week, Avon was just like a corporate dude before all of this. <laughs> yes. I'd like to see. I'd like to see just a season of episodes where every episode just focuses on one character when they were like ten, and we just see everybody's childhood. <laughs> one episode. No, you got to do two. One where they're like ten, and one where they're I don't know, like twenty-five or something like that. You just do it in one episode, since I Maybe, feel like yeah, you wouldn't have sure. enough to do in ten. Yeah, you're right. Well, some of the big finish stuff does go back into their past. Oh boy. Hmm, that could be from the that past, could be eh? done really well. Wow, wow! <laughs> that could be done really well or really poorly, and pretty much never in between. I think pressure point was where Gan died. Yes, yep. pressure point was it. Where Servalan threw what's her face totally under the bus to rise to power. But this is where Tarrant, I think, uh, sort of. I have to go back and watch it. Yep. Yeah, Tarrant sort of pieces together or comes up with a theory. As to what's going on. Yeah, because, well, because he sees, okay, Servaland cries and one of her tears apparently does this to the sand. However, she cries before they kind of get in bed together, which makes me wonder if Tarrant knew what was going on before they like got in bed together and like just kept it from her for like a while. Well, wasn't the sequence of events, like Tarrant explains this, they have their uh, dinner slash, you know, whatever it is. And then, you know, after the, the next morning, they say, is when all the rest of this stuff But, I happens. mean, like, Tarrant and Servaland have this whole moment of connection because, like, Servaland and Tarrant both think there's no way out. But Tarrant says that Servaland's tear 
dissolve the sand and that's how he realized that there was a way out but she cried like before they did anything that evening together like, oh yeah, yeah yeah so i was like wondering if he like intentionally withheld well, this information for a little he's bit slow. And, he's pretty slow oh. he's, not, he's not a villain <laughs> level not genius stupid. he knows what he's doing <laughs> i mean i'm not gonna say he's a genius but let's be honest yeah like i said i think he knew what he was doing here <laughs> maybe well here's the moment where tarrant sort of becomes a foil to avon in a way in that he he has this really i don't know i guess we call this an ecological story so yeah i guess we can say it anthropocentric view here he uses he's he just says this is a what if scenario but he just says you know what if the sand is doing this to us what if it's sentient in some way and what if it's taking the most logical course of action which is to keep one man and and one woman alive and that's why you know it killed everyone else and that's why it, it kept keller and what's her name alive as well um, and then killed it yeah and then killed and keller right? when his co-worker yeah. killed herself because she couldn't bear to be stuck on this planet. Right. And it's interesting here, he uses the word logic to describe all this. Or he, he, he puts that word here, he, he uh, I guess, applies that word to the sand. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the logic, the, the sort of root of that means word, right? Like, or language. Logos. Um, and he's, and, yeah, and he's applying this to this being, I guess, that mm-hmm. couldn't possibly use language in the human sense. Right. So, I don't know, he... Whereas Avon, I guess, takes out the human element, or at least tries to, Tarrant uh, maybe extends it to other beings in ways that maybe you shouldn't be doing. You know, I don't know. And it's interesting how Servaland then, right after that, says that she she fell in love with power, right? She moved from being in love with a human being to mm-hmm. a concept, or moved from being in love with uh, something concrete to something abstract. I don't have anything else to say about that. I just think it's all sort of interesting. I think that sand is having a, a big impact on how people are acting, and you can see this with Villa, and right. the, you know what the sand's making him actually do. So he's not he's not acting exactly like Villa would act, and so I think there's a, a an implication that Tarrant and Serverland get into bed rather fast uh, without thinking things through because the sands actually altered their thinking a little bit. Well, also, nobody's really thinking straight when they're horny, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe that's an effect of the sand. It just makes you really <laughs> horny? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. I think that's exactly what's going on. It's taking your base urges and amplifying them. You know, potentially, because there is a line, you know, where Villa says something, when Dana says something about Callie, and Villa says, like, I used to like you, and Avon says, you still like her, now go over there and sit down. Yeah. Well... <laughs> I mean, you, you talk about base urges, you know, what happens to Villa right as soon as he comes into contact with the sand, right? He wants to drink. And, you know, what do mm. what do Tarrant and Serverland also do is that they sit down and eat a meal, you know? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. What really bothered me, actually, about this explanation that it keeps two people alive was like, well, then why didn't it kill Serverland's pilot? As soon as Tarrant, it was hedging its it, bits. Well, as soon as Tarrant landed, it should have killed the pilot because it intentionally trapped Servalan and Tarrant together in that room. So it wasn't like the pilot was ever going to be able to make it to Servalan because the sand itself trapped Servalan and Tarrant. So I was starting to wonder, well, why didn't it just kill the pilot? Yeah, then? and and what they kind of explain this at the end is, I think, is that it tried to, but it was just a minimal amount, so we just brushed it outside. Mm. I think he says that near the end. 
pretty sure. Also, maybe it's not sure. Maybe it thinks, well, you know, Terrence got the girl, but the pilots actually got stand away from the ship, so I'm, I'm not sure which who's the alpha male. Yeah, maybe. Meanwhile, Avon has figured all of this out from, like, very minimal information. <laughs> you just, wait a minute, I haven't the It's from the exact a right probability square. Oh, yeah, right. He kind of just chucks the water on the sand. He's like, see, figured it out. And everyone's like, wow, let's go. And then he says, yeah, I'm the alpha male Villa. Sorry. And Villa's like, mm. Villa's just like, I'm dying. Uh, what's I don't going care. On? Just save me. I hate the Scorpio fl- flight deck. The, the liberators felt so cavernous. The, by like, the bridge? Everything oh, Thank you. Thank you, RG. You're with and me. I, I knew I, I wasn't alone in this. Yeah. Hey, I, don't, I just don't like it. It's all cramped and That's exactly feels, what I said. Thank it you. Look as cool. No, it's you two against Thank the world. <laughs> it's us two versus you two right now. It's two to two if you really think about it. You think about all the people who've been on this podcast, it's two to two think, right think now. Think about all the people on uh you know on Twitter who've been like, Yeah, I love the Scorpio flight deck. Think what about, about all the people who were like, Yeah, I hated the Scorpio flight deck? No, I haven't really seen many of those people. <laughs> we'll see. So far, we're two for two. Two I'll to two. Up, I'll put up a poll on Twitter, actually. Well, the, the teleport error is not as fun. The um, I like slave though. Annoying. Slave's design. And, uh, I'll give them points for that one. And also, um, you know, the bit where they sort of chill out on the Liberator and the bit where they chill out on Scorpio, they could all sit around on the Liberator one, but really there's only those two lounge chairs on the Scorpio. <laughs> Yeah, those lounge chairs look like an afterthought because I don't remember them being there in Rescue. And I think it was later on, they're like, shoot, we've got to put a lounge area like we had on the Liberator. I think they were put there to get the young ones bow to split them up a bit more. I do like the so, Liberator a lot more than the Scorpio, don't get me wrong. I just think the Scorpio is good as well. Well, opinions can be wrong. As we found out like a month ago. When I don't even remember the context that, that was Me in. Me neither. Anymore. It was on Trust Your Doctor. We were like, we found it out. Opinions can be wrong. <laughs> uh, where are we? We on still on the Scorpio? Well, yeah. Avon figures it out, and he's like, "We've got to make oh, it yeah, rain." He and he comes. This, plan. <laughs> this is such a freaking insane this plan. This is a Blake plan. <laughs> this real. is a plan that has no basis in science, logic, emotion, or anything you could think of. There's no basis for anything in this plan. I think he just wants to go get into a situation that could result in his death. <laughs> you think Avon just has, like, a death wish? I think he just wants yeah, well, to live on the edge. He's crazy Avon at this point. Evil can evil, Avon. <laughs> There's a nice dig from Dana to, um, how can we refuse Avon? You are the dominant male, aren't you? Yeah, and he just smiles. He knows we had a bit. True. We had a bit. Um, we moved on from it, but uh, there was another little line where Serverland says, "Try to remember." Oh no, Ter- Terence says, "Try to remember." I have a gun, and Serverland says, "Actually, no." Just like she's that like, as "I well. have the gun," and then Terence's like, "Well, if you kill me, then you can't get off the planet. She gets in the sand. Like, no use for you, and kill you." And then she's like, "Well, I still have my pilot." And Terence's like, "Damn, you got me there." Yeah. How do they resolve that? Terrence shoots uh, the windows. Oh yeah, Terrence figures out up. how to defeat the sand and shoots the windows out with the, with the gun. Mm. How many bullets did Terrence bring? He fired off a couple shots at Reeve. More he, than four. Yeah, more than four. He's got a special uh, gun belt that he got from 
Dev or Dell or no, he's Dell, isn't he? Mm, he he is got from Del. his brother Dieter. He got a Dieter. special gun belt from Dieter. Good old Dieter, Dieter, the identical Dieter. twin. He mentions yes. in this episode how Servalan let Dieter die. Yes, that was interesting too, wasn't it? You'd think they'd give him motivation to pull that trigger when he's got the gun up. <laughs> Being inch from her head. You know what I think a lot of this is? I think a lot of it is Servland's like, all right, kill me. And he's like, nah, you know, I can't. I mean, he even says that, uh, you know, earlier on, you know, I, I prefer moving targets. I think it's just maybe he thinks it's too easy. He so he's like Dita. He's doing the yeah. same thing that got yeah, Dita yeah, killed. Yeah, exactly. Actually. Or the sand's affecting him and won't let him kill her because it wants them as breeding mm. stock. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. But yeah, Avon's say? insane, asinine plan is to fly the Liberator into the, not the Liberator, Scorpio, into the storm, because he's like, if we just, like, rouse up the storm a bit, it'll start raining. And everyone's like, yeah, that makes total sense. I'm like, no, that <laughs> makes no sense. They do it and it works. Like, what evidence do you have that this is going to work? Maybe things are different at a certain level on the planet. Who knows? I mean, maybe, but Avon has, like, no scientific evidence I mean, that he, this is going to work I mean, at all. he shook his magic eight ball. No. By magic eight ball, I mean those probability <laughs> squares. Should I fly into the clouds? Shakes ball. Answer unclear. Ask later. <laughs> all right, let's do this. <laughs> let's do this. What are the eight balls? It's ball? like, no, definitely don't. It's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> what did the eight ball say, Avon? Uh, it said yes. <laughs> Just trying to kick it behind like a, a desk. Uh, what eight ball? Actually, slave looks a bit like an eight ball. Yeah. Hey, slave. Should we fly into the storm? No, should master. Should we fly into the sun? Yeah. Should we fly into the sun? As you wish, master. <laughs> Well, Slave, the reason why they figure out technology doesn't work so well on the planet is because Slave's, like, having trouble. And they're like, Slave, are you okay? And he's like, no, could someone take over for me? And they're like, okay. <laughs> then Slave's like, thank you, Master. I'm going to go to sleep now. <laughs> yeah, you know, Slave needs his rest just as much as anyone else. That's why Zen failed. You know, they kept him working like a, a dog. He could have taken a rest when he wanted to, like he did in that one episode where he just stopped telling them <laughs> everything. And they were like, Zen, what are you doing? But anyway, Avon's plan totally works. Mm. As it must, because there's ten minutes left in the episode and it needs to be resolved ASAP. So the sand yeah, gets... Yeah, I mean, apart from the fact that he is making it rain, the idea, if you can get it to rain, the idea is very sound. Get it to rain and the, fr the sand starts to dissolve a bit. Right. And they say also that, you know, the planet produces the sand or it itself is the sand, so... The sand will come back, but it's just a, a, a window of time that they have where it's right. not around. I mean, that was interesting earlier where Tarrant said, have you actually felt any wind while you've been on this planet? And they realized, no, they hadn't. It's actually the sand moving itself around. Right. That's a very cool moment, especially because you can hear the wind blowing throughout this entire scene. And so then they go like, no, wait, that's not the wind. It's, it's the sand moving around. It's the sand crawling around. <laughs> And again, it's, it's that mystery, you know, oh, okay, we've figured it out now. Mm -hmm. Well, then Tarrant beams up and they're like, so Tarrant? And he's like, oh, I met a girl. And they're like, oh, Tarrant, who was it? And yes. he's like, Servalan. This is and that like, moment. What the hell? And he clears the flight deck. Data gets a half, walks off. Uh, Su Lin gets a half and walks off. Even Villa does. I don't know why Su Lin cares, really, but... <laughs> 
Even Villa gets mad at him. Villa, who hasn't cared much about really most of their Villa's problems. Villa's just here for the booze at this point. Yeah. Even he recognizes, like, hey, man, not cool. Not cool. <laughs> Avon sticks around. He's like, so what'd you tell you about Keller? And he's like, oh, she, he was like a lover of hers. And Avon's like, well, did you believe it? And he's like, just as far that I needed to to get out of there, basically, he says. Tries to play it off. He's in his mind. He's like, oh, wait, that could have been a total lie. I guess I'll just pretend I uh, thought of that as soon as I heard it. <laughs> but then we cut to well, Silverland. We kind of, yeah, we find out that it wasn't really a lie. Well, that's how I read it. That's how I read it, too. I, I read it as she for sure knew Keller, whether or not they were, you know, romantically involved. Um, and I think they probably were. I just don't think it's 100% confirmed. I mean, she says he's her lover. I mean, that's fairly intimate. Mm-hmm. I'm just a... Contrarian. I mean, no, I'm... Yeah, in some ways, yes. Um, <laughs> but I'm also just extremely skeptical about all this stuff, so, you know. You're just extremely skeptical about love in general, Keon. Open your heart. <laughs> and and realize that this mass murderer has room in her own heart for love? Yes. If Servland can love, so can you, Keon. <laughs> you know, even Hitler had a wife, so... That was a girlfriend. Him, I don't think they actually got married, but they got married on the day that they died. Ah, so they were they were husband and wife for sub like twenty four hours. Yeah. And then the bunker. It all went badly in the bunker. So, um, so I think you can be a, a psychopath, sociopath, and have one person that you care about, or maybe one person that meets your needs. Yeah, uh, I feel like there'd be a debate there about whether you actually care about them, if you don't necessarily feel emotion, if you actually care about them, if it's just someone who fulfills your needs, who you keep around. So from that perspective, I agree with um, Keon that she might be saying he was her lover, but to her that might have just meant someone she could have a fun time with, not someone who she felt any affection for. Yeah. No. The other thing to realize is this is 1981, and the idea of having a lover in this uh, at that time was it probably meant a lot more than what if you use that word today. Mm-hmm. Like it's quite a strong word for that time. Mm. Right. It's interesting. The wiki, because I spoiled this long ago, this moment. The wiki paints this as a very defining moment for Servland, as far as I remember. Um, and I think this is on the wiki page, Blake 7 wiki page for Servalan. Um, they sort of paint this like um, Keller's death was what spurred Servalan on to her ambition, which is kind of in this episode, but uh, yeah, I, I guess it was. Yeah, I guess it was in this episode, come to think of it. Well, she keeps saying after Don Keller, then power became her right. lover. Yep. Mm-hmm. We'll get a nice little bit of closure when she breaks the glass and the water dissolves the last bit of sand in the ship. Right. I was kind of wondering why that sand is even still there on that ship. Wanted to weigh off the planet, way to propagate itself. Exactly. Yeah, you'd think her and Chazgo would have swept it out of the door before they took off. That's kind of what I was thinking. Like, (laughs) she keeps the sand around just for this dramatic moment, Servalant? Maybe they kept it around like they kept the, um, the moon disk. You know, as a pet. That oh, moon yeah, disc yeah. never showed up again. <laughs> it died with Callie. Probably died before Callie. Yeah, actually. probably died long before <laughs> Callie did. But it died between episodes that week, and Callie just kind of brushed it under the rug and was like, hey, where's your moon disc, Callie? <laughs> uh, well, uh, moon disc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't bring any moon discs. 
<laughs> I, think, I think the I think the sand came in in her stiletto shoes. Oh, maybe. Uh, maybe. Yeah. That's what I was sticking with. Classic stilettos. <laughs> That's the biggest reason not to wear stilettos. It's damn it vampire sand is going <laughs> to get on your ship and kill everyone. Yeah, I think they'd say that on the box when you buy a, a, some stiletto shoes. I think they'd say, don't wear down to, to planets with uh, vampire sand. Don't wear to planet Vern. Yeah. <laughs> you explain like what it is. Don't don't wear these on Vern. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, what do you think Terry Nation would do with this idea? Who wants to go first? Because I, in my head, this whole episode is completely overhauled. And uh, so, wow, I'm the complete opposite. I think it would be. This might just be because I just thought of this like two, two minutes, minutes ago. ago. But I think it wouldn't be that different. So why don't you go first? Or 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 you can go first. Maybe we should let our guest go first. Yeah, we should do that. Is this a new thing that you've been doing? Yeah, it's called the uh, How Would This Episode Be Different If Terry Nation Wrote It segment. Oh, I haven't caught the last couple of segments. uh, How would I think it'd be different? That's a big question. I'm going to go last. Okay. Well, so my envisioning of this is I sat down as soon as the episode finished. I was like, man, Vampire Sand, that is too high concept for Terry Nation. Terry Nation would just have it be an actual virus on this planet, number one. And number two, Servland would far and away not be the main character of this episode at all. Servland for Terry Nation was always a villain for the Liberator crew. Uh, in every episode that Terry Nation wrote, it never seemed like Servland was a main character to, to Terry. He, she was always a kind of a secondary character who served primarily as an antagonist for the crew. And so in that aspect, I don't think this episode is focused on Servland at all. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if Keller would even be her romantic interest. He just might be someone that she is after for her new federation in this episode. And I think that Vampire Sand would just be regular Sand and some sort of techno virus because Terry Nation loved technology more than... <laughs> Uh, ecology is not the word, but like... Nature. Nature, I guess. <laughs> so maybe the vampire sand is vampire sand, but it's like because it's infested with nanobots or something, I don't think the vampire sand just being vampire sand is a Terry Nation thing. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I agree with that. I do think Terry Nation is interested in telling an ecological story. The Daleks itself, in some ways, is an ecological story. But I definitely agree that he's infusing this with technology rather than like yeah. fantasy or whatever, mysticism or whatever. Um, I definitely think the nanobots idea is something he would go for, yeah. if not exactly that, then something like it. But I do think Terry Nation often writes romance into his stories. Um, no, yeah, no, I'm not disputing that. I just, I think that it wouldn't come into this story because I don't think he considered Servaland that kind of character. Well, there, again, there was like, you know, Orac, where she and Travis were a little bit more central. But not to this extent, but... And I, I do think Terry Nation eventually comes around like, look at this character's romantic backstory or tragic backstory, you know, with like Avon and, and stuff like that. Yeah, but he always did that down. with the Liberator crew. Like whenever Servaland shows up, any of these episodes where Servaland gets major character development, I think, in my opinion, are written by people other than Terry Nation. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I, I can see Terry Nation kind of writing this uh, really similarly, maybe at the end you know, turns it around is like, well, you know, that scene at the end is like her, I don't know, snickering of like, ah, I never loved Keller or something, you know, something less cheesy than that, but something along those lines. This Where's- is what I think. Mm-hmm. So one of, one of the things I noticed in this episode, and I think this is Tanith Lee again, everyone actually got something to do. <laughs> so 
So Sulin. Oh, I see where actually, this is going already. <laughs> so Sulin was talking, you know, talking on the um, Scorpio about everything. Taryn got a lot to do. Dana got a little bit to do, not as much as the others, but she did get to go down to the planet. She did get to have some lines when she came back to the ship. Villa gets drunk, so everyone gets stuff to do. Terry Nation was writing it. Avon would get more screen time. He would go down to the planet and flirt with Serverland. Not everyone would get lines, so some would be lineless, probably Su Lin. Dana would stay on the Liberator and Villa would go down with Avon. Avon would work out the sand without even having his little computation square. But I think um, at some stage Dana would have a meeting with Serverland, so I think she'd come back up on the ship. Then they'd have a standoff and then somehow she'd escape again. That's what I think. Yeah, I could see that. Terry Nation was fond of his rivalries, especially with Blake and Travis. Yeah, there's pretty much nothing I can say to, like, just, I think that's pretty much spot on. Yeah. So I think RG should take over this segment for us because a lot of times we struggle <laughs> with what Terry Nation would do. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I don't have anything to refute any of that. You I know, think it's I fairly agree with easy it. To, to go that. Um, Terry Nation wasn't that good a, a writer or that, you know, didn't have that many ideas. But I, I've been reading more and more about uh, how he, you know, operated within Blake 7 and he came up with all the first series on his own. So, yes, it got fleshed out by Chris Boucher, but those original ideas are actually tricky to come up with. So I, I think he can sometimes get overlooked a little bit. I mean, I think I described Terry Nation once as a mediocre writer with some gems. And Chris Boucher is a great writer with some busts. So. Yeah, that could be that could be the way forward. <laughs> the way forward. <laughs> <laughs> the way forward. Yeah. I mean, so I'd say this was definitely Serverland's episode. So mm-hmm. she she got the most screen time. We learned about a past love of hers, and we saw her cozy up to Tarrant. Uh, Jack's got to play a range of emotions: smug, menacing, smouldering, distraught. And I thought she did a good job with all of them. Uh, as I said a moment ago, just about everybody got screen time, which seems to be a hallmark of Tanith Lee's episodes. In Sarcophagus, everyone got something to do. And I really like the mystery aspect to this story. But finally, watching this episode is a great way to remember Jacqueline Pierce, who died earlier this year, because it is her episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is, you know, by far and away also, I think, one of her best performances is Serverland 2, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, it is. Mm. At least that we've seen so far. I'm sure she shows up at least once more before the season is out. I don't know, though, so don't take my word for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I actually don't know either. And Taryn finally gets stuff to do rather than just stand around and <laughs> Yeah, he gets stuff to do together. and once again completely mucks everything up. <laughs> yes! <laughs> my favorite. It's the at, I mean, at this take point, a dump all over Taryn week yeah, on no, I mean, At this point, really, like, the more Taryn does, it's, it's like you can't take... You know, you don't want to blink. You don't want to see what Terrence's gonna. gonna yeah, screw you just up want next. to see how Terrence's gonna mess it up this yeah, week. Exactly. <laughs> but he's he's quite. Um, there's quite a bit of seduction going on with him getting the food, and then you know they lay out the table and they have a bit of a drink, and it's you know he does a good job in that area. I think. Hmm. I mean, he certainly knows his way around. Uh, what would you call that? Practical matters. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's Servaland who he should have just shot right then and there. It's true. On the other hand, it's Servaland who could actually... I I feel like Servaland's actually the one in control of the whole situation, manipulating Tarrant through this whole thing. You see, that's Tarrant's job. Tarrant's job is to look decorative. 
My man. So he, he achieves that. He achieves that in every episode. He just has to look decorative and that's that. Well, there was like, what was it? Or sensible. Assassin, I think, where he like tried to challenge Avon for command, but then they get on the assassin ship and Avon comes up with this completely like, according to Sergeant Trano, insane plan. And Tam's like, that's the best idea you've ever had, Avon. <laughs> <laughs> Try to suck up to Avon after you realize he's completely been messing everything up for weeks. Oh, dear. So that, remind, that reminds me of someone who um, tries to suck up to people all the time. No, it's gone out of my head. Uh, I mean, I think that's about it for me. I think this is far and away uh, the best episode of Series D so far. I think it's up there for me. I don't know if it's the it's, best. It's this or Rescue. I mean... I'd have to think about it. Rescue. I'd have to look at all the episode names because I'm like blanking on all the names right now because they're all one word and incredibly <laughs> difficult to remember. But I liked Assassin, this, too. This is my favorite of um, season D. Well, maybe we're finally hitting that upswing everyone's been talking yeah. about when it Episode becomes great. Nine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, games wasn't bad, either. It wasn't bad, but... Yeah, I liked games. I, mean, yeah. I wouldn't say games was great. You haven't heard our episode on games yet, but that, that's an interesting episode, I think. Especially when we suddenly, yeah. like, halfway through, realize how many Greek myths are just drawn into <laughs> that episode. Yeah. This is probably a good time to uh, transition into... Uh, we do have an email from Sergeant Drano this week, so if you'd like to join us to respond to that, OG. Yeah, that'd be great. I'll go ahead and uh, read it here. All right, Sergeant Drano, subject line, Sand. Hey, guys. So, Sand, I really like this one. I love the way this episode starts from the Federation perspective. It almost feels like an episode of Star Trek where Servland and her intrepid crew go on a mission to investigate some mysterious planetary anomaly, only it's mirror universe Star Trek where the Federation is all bad guys and assholes. Hey, maybe Blake 7 is actually set in Mirror Universe Star Trek, huh? huh? So I guess this must be the new Federation Navy uniform, the red and black. Not terrible, I guess, but also not thrilled by it. Investigator Reeves uniform, though. Ugh. <laughs> hey, shout out to the clip guns with their interchangeable ammo types, percussion bullets for the win. Lol Tarrant is the worst, sends Dana back and chooses to go alone in spite of knowing he has no idea what he's dealing with, walks into a gunfight with Investigator Reeve, Reeve totally gets the drop on him, then later Servland easily takes his gun away from him. I love the reveal that Servland loved Keller, terrific acting by Jacqueline Pierce in this one, some of her best I think, good mystery too, maybe the title gives it away a little bit, but I thought the suspense and tension was built on pretty well throughout. I think they did a pretty good job making the green planet of sand feel like a real place too. Sulin stays up on Scorpio, but she gets some pretty great stuff to do with callbacks to the death of Callie and the destruction of the Liberator. Lol Villa sitting there on Scorpio and doesn't notice his feet buried in a big pile of cat litter. <laughs> Uh, Serverland, oh, Tarrant, I'm just the girl next door. Tarrant, if you were the girl next door, I'd move. Serverland, where would you move to? Tarrant, Tarrant, next door. I have to admit, that is some good dialogue. Avon's probability square is interesting, although it's hard to make sense of it. A bunch of different colored tiles that he moves around, which say stuff like earth, water, nitro, sand, and light. <laughs> so Tarrant figures it all out, and information dumps us. Looks like sand has an additional side effect. It dramatically boosts the intelligence of people with man perms. <laughs> <laughs> all in all, a pretty great episode, I think. I will give it six out of seven. Sergeant Drano, station seven, the door. I think he hit on pretty much everything that we hit on yeah. in this episode, actually. Yeah. Uh, the uniforms, although he disliked Inspector Reeves, Investigator oh, Reeves' man. uniform. Not which like is metallic a, but flexible? Gonna have to disagree with you there, uh, Drano. And, uh, I did, I liked that uniform, I have to say. Yeah, and so did I. Well, it was really good, actually. Yeah, I did too. 
I like how he takes a big dump all over town, though. Yeah. That's how you know you're a true Zenith fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, the, the point about uh, Diana going down with Tarrant and Tarrant just sending her back, even though he doesn't know what he's going to be up against. Yeah, he makes a good point there. Yeah. I mean, Tarrant's just like... Tarrant just sees... Tarrant legitimately sees Dana get shot in the arm and then decides that it's a good idea to, like... Because we forgot to mention, Avon's like, do you want someone to replace Dana yeah. with you, Tarrant? And Tarrant's like, no, no, I think I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> like well, see, he had to, though. He had to do that because otherwise he wouldn't be left, from a story perspective, he wouldn't be left with Serverland on his own if he hadn't have done that. Right, but right. that doesn't mean it wasn't a bad decision on Tarrant's part. <laughs> oh, of course, it was a Tarrant decision. It was a Tarrant decision. It was a Tarrant bull decision. Uh, I was going to say that. You beat me to it. <laughs> Uh, and the good dialogue as well, you know, and the Lee Square. Also, the man perm. I didn't see, uh, Dylan, you mentioned this. I thought you were kind of just joking, but you can actually see the words on the squares. Yeah. I didn't notice yeah, that. You I didn't can. read any of them. And they're just single words to say, like, earth, water. Oh. Like, yeah. Huh. All right. So the man perm means that you've got another use for a dead tarrant, which is a mop. <laughs> oh God! So Yo, very <laughs> Yo, <laughs> what are you mopping up? The blood from when you killed Tarrant? No, oh well, I can't tell you anything else at this stage, so uh. we should just leave it there. <laughs> I will leave it up to your imagination. Great. To, uh, Have we found yeah. out how much Villa weighs yet? Or are we still yet to two find weeks. out? Okay, two, two weeks. weeks. <sighs> <laughs> The episode that Sergeant Reno is going to be on. That's why he, he picked that one. Is that why he picked that one specifically? So, because you yes. find out how much Villa mm-hmm. weighs? Yep. Yes, RG, you're actually the first of like a long string of crossovers we have. You're the, the what is it? Uh, first the best. Of the first three? of three in a row. Yeah. So, and for that, and we thank you for starting us off on such a good note because I really enjoyed having you on again. Yeah. Definitely. That's no problem. Thank you so much for letting me chat about Blake Seven with you. Yeah, no, we love it. I'd I'm offer for you to be on again, finish. but like we're almost at the end. We don't have enough episodes. Yeah. yeah. But you will appear again on Trust Your Doctor. So I will. This is not the end of RG's appearances on Decorative Vegetable Podcasts. But I am sad that we're coming to the end of uh, Blake Seven. It's been a great ride listening to you two talk about it. It's bittersweet. It's bittersweet. I think it's nice to realize that a break is in sight. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, you know, I'm going to miss this. We've met a lot of interesting people doing Zenith. Yeah. uh, For sure. You included, of course. Cheers. And that's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We've still got episodes to go yet, so there's we, no yeah, need we, to... We have episodes to we go yet. To too sad, yeah. I think I'm going to cry on the finale episode. <laughs> Zenith is ending. Actually, I don't Make know if sure I'll go there's no far. stray sand around, you know, got to you know, get it with your tears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just got to make sure that the, you know, the office is clean. <laughs> All right, so in the week since we recorded with RG, we got a couple of comments on the website from Jürgen that we're going to go ahead and read and respond to so all these are on uh let's see episode 46 which was last week which would be games uh, and it's split over three comments but i'm just going to read them straight through and then we'll just respond to all of them uh, when we're done because they're all kind of linked 
Hey guys, I enjoyed Linus's performance myself. Hope you like her in future episodes. There are some crackers still to come, I think. Yes, Dana does have less to do. Uh, haven't finished listening to the podcast, but surely you agree Gisette knows how to do her own stunts. It looks cool. Uh, what is the vanishing act you're referring to? Please don't get it, I'm afraid. Thanks for continuing to cover Blake 7 like this, even though you think it's time for it to come to an end. I always enjoy listening to a fellow Cancerian and to your dulcet tones as well, Keon. <laughs> More about Linus Barber. I think she just wanted to give a cool-headed, no-nonsense performance. My interpretation is that she didn't mean to put a lot of effort into the slap, as she obviously didn't consider Piri important enough. I love the line about slapping a historical woman. Sulin might have had a very low opinion of the, quote, sweet little girl, unquote, as Dana calls her at the end. A sitcom moment, perhaps, but quite funny. She does, however, warm to poor old Nibok, something I liked for the character. Interesting comments about the editing. There was supposed to be more dialogue between Servalan and Verlis, but the actors kept fluffing their lines. There's some wow. hilarious footage wow. on YouTube. Yeah, Series D has a lot of um, behind-the-scenes slash, like, blooper reel type stuff that you can find on YouTube. Right. Uh, the vanishing act was mainly because I didn't know where the hell Dana was during the whole episode. <laughs> I don't and even I remember what that's referring to. Well, I said that she pulled a vanishing act because I had no idea where she was for the oh, whole episode. Okay. Because uh, I could not, for the life of me, remember. Still cannot, for the life <laughs> of me, remember where Dana was during games. Unfortunately. But that's uh, all right, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember either. Uh, but other than that, thank you for your comments, Jürgen. We always appreciate hearing from you and all our other fans. And basically, we're asking for our fans to, and you know, even if you're not a fan of Zenith, you can you can email us, I guess. Yeah, anyone, email, uh, Facebook, Twitter, or we'll leave comment a comment on the, on the website. website. Just you know, kind of pitching your fantasy version of Blake Seven, like fantasy football, but for Blake Seven. Uh, right. Do you so, want playing the characters, who would you have doing scripts, script editing, producer, whatever you want. Story ideas. Story you, you ideas. Can, you can set this in like, you know, an alternate history where series E happened, I guess, yeah. or like a, a reboot or something. You know, you just you can do whatever you or want. Or like from the 80s, like in the era of Blake 7, if you could cast anyone who would do it. If you could draw from any era, who would you cast? Yeah. You can do whatever you want with it, really. <laughs> like it's very open-ended and it's open-ended intentionally. Right. And on our final episode, which we'll be releasing the week after The Way Ahead, we'll be releasing one final wrap-up episode for Zenith. On that episode, we'll be going over people's fantasy kind of Blake 7. We'll be pitching our own as well. Yeah. And just reflecting on the and podcast. just reflecting probably. on the podcast and the show and looking back fondly on what we've done. <laughs> looking back fondly on how we burned ourselves out. <laughs> So again, the four sort of channels you can yeah. you can pitch your idea on or email, mm -hmm. Facebook, Twitter, and leaving a comment on the website. Oh, but anyway, if you would like to email us in the final moments of Zenith, you it's can email dying us. Breaths. <laughs> it's dying breaths. <laughs> you can reach us at the doctor at decadivegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry man's love letters, your thoughts on sand and Tanith Lee and and whatever you want. <laughs> You can reach us. You can well. You can find us on YouTube at Decorative Vegetable, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zenith, a Blake Seven podcast. Be sure to leave a rating if you like the show. Check us on Facebook. Trust your doctor. Like us on Facebook. Also check us on Twitter at TYD Podcast and follow us on Twitter. And next time we're watching Gold with a guest appearance by a frequent correspondent Maurice. 
Um, but until then, thank you again, yeah, RG. Thank you again, RG, for being on. No worries. Always love it. And until then, the end. <laughs>